Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. And welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. With me, James Tiller, alongside me today from the Everything F1 team, we've got Coops. Hiya, Coops. How are you? Um, well, thank you very much. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for coming along to speak with me today. Uh, we've also got a special guest with us today, uh, and that's Hazel Southwell. Hi, Hazel. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? How are you? Thank you yeah. for having me on. Yeah, no, brilliant. Thank you very much for coming along. Um, for our fans that might not follow you on Twitter, might not know who you are, can you kind of give us a brief outline of who you are and uh, what, what you do in the wonderful world of motorsport? Uh, so I'm a motorsport journalist across a lot of series, um, particularly Formula One, Formula E and, and the junior series that kind of lead to Formula One uh, or Formula E, depending. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I particularly cover kind of technical stuff powertrains and batteries and that kind of thing. So you've got lots to speak about from the FE this weekend? Yes, yeah, I think, I think yeah, kind of exciting. Uh, or Monaco is the, the one moment where Formula E really gets to show off mm-hmm. um, and and not just because get into a few yacht parties or whatever. <laughs> Although I'm sure that's probably one of the highlights uh, for definite. Yeah, you know, you never really turn down an invitation for that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I don't blame you at all. Um, well, anyway, we are, we'll, we'll get into that and we'll get into the Miami Grand Prix preview in a moment. But first, obviously, we are Everything F1. You can find us on all, all our social platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Uh, we've also got a TikTok that we started recently and we'd love you to go over there and follow us over there too. You can find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. And of course, you're listening to us on this podcast right there, right now. Uh, we'd love you to hit the subscribe button and get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. Today, we're going to talk about the Miami Grand Prix, uh, and then we're going to talk to Hazel about, obviously, Effie uh, and any things that she's done within the uh, world of motorsport. So let's first head into the Miami preview. Coops, in a few sentences, can you describe your excitement for the weekend? Well, I don't think I could be excited as the Miami preview motors with the fake marinas and apparently there's an opening ceremony <laughs> who knew uh, you know what I'm going to go against the grain with a lot of the guys in the team I'm looking forward to it's an event it's Miami they're going to be over the top it's going to be a bit kind of oh look if the racing's crap the racing's crap we'll talk about it after we'll see what they do to change it if they can do anything to change it we've had decent enough races this year even the new regulations keeping things relatively close Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it'll be fun. It's different. It goes a wee bit against the norm. 
which I think is what's great. None of few people, you know, will get into the kind of meets. I mean, people still, don't like change. Let's be honest. People don't do not like change in this world. I, th- I think it, it kind of highlights the fact that to the outside world, America is just very over the top and it <laughs> takes a lot of getting used to. You know, they've put in this fake marina to make things look pretty. They've, you know, they're having, like I said, there an open ceremony. God knows what other things they're putting on. It's very over the top. And I think out with America, or unless you're involved in that, it can be quite a bit kind of shock to the system. Oh, they're having this, they're doing that. That's a bit... It's like the first year that Liberty Media took over Formula One and they had that announcer announcing all the drivers, the, the Texas Grand Prix. It was bit, that was brilliant. It was, it was very American. You know, that's <laughs> the thing. The Miami, the Miami weekend is going to be very American. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's fine. It is what it is. Uh, I'm sure we'll things to talk about as the weekend goes on Hazel I'm going to ask you as well are you excited for the weekend in Miami or are you one of these kind of looking at it like going <laughs> um, so from my perspective I, I'm not sure why this race isn't a showcase I think you could just as well have a big well no I am sure which is that the teams wouldn't all turn up and bring all their cars and stuff for a showcase so you have to make it a Grand Prix event because that's the incentive for the team to, to kind of rock up. Um, it's obviously a super privileged event. You know, the ticket prices are insane. It's in a not particularly affluent bit of a, an incredibly affluent area. And, you know, it is a car park. Like, I work in Formula E and we get accused of racing around car parks frequently enough that I feel, like, very assured in myself saying that's a car park. Um <laughs> So, like, I think there's unbelievable levels of hype around it. Of course, it was always going to be ridiculous because it's essentially like a a five-mile VIP zone, but that kind of is what it is. And to be honest, from my perspective, I don't really care what the VIP area at racetrack looks like because even if I'm there, I'm not going to be allowed to look. <laughs> like, you know, as soon as you've mm. got a media lanyard, they try and stop you looking VIPs in the eye or anything <laughs> <laughs> like hide you in a tunnel somewhere so yeah like I sort of don't care about any of the hype or the parties or whatever mm-hmm. but what does bother me is the track looks a bit naff like in terms of racing so that I think will be more unfortunate I also think that there's been some really nasty play between the city and the promoters mm-hmm. and um, the nearby residents um, who have a really like I, I know a lot of people have been going out, oh my God, why are they complaining about a Grand Prix? Because when people move directly next to Silverstone and then complain about the noise, yes, you knew where you were moving. But yeah. for the people who've just had a racetrack dumped on their doorstep for the next 10 years, and it is literally like 200 feet from some people's houses, yeah, it, it does feel a little bit unfair. So especially a racetrack that's going to have massive concerts and like whatever uh, going on. So and there's been some like nasty legal wrangling with that. I think there's bigger controversies than some fake water. The <laughs> fake water is very funny, but like the the more and the the other thing is actually like, you know, Florida is in is putting some very unpleasant anti LGBTQ plus people laws in, you know, should we be going there and, and being like, Woo, Miami, Florida mm. uh with without kind of the same critical look that we might apply to other street circuits where places don't have great laws. 
Uh, sorry, I went on for ages there. No, 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 um, absolutely. It, 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 it's all it's all interesting stuff and it's a completely valid statement and we we have we see on online everyone kind of saying boycott the saudis boycott the middle east and uh races why aren't they saying the similar thing for, uh, for those things absolutely 100 uh, behind you there uh, will i say i'm looking forward to it I, I, i'm not sure i'm kind of on the fence uh, I'll, I'll i love formula one so i'll enjoy watching the race i'm sure hopefully it gives us some kind of uh, entertainment uh, on the way around. Let me talk about this, uh, the stats from the circuit itself then. So the circuit length is 5.412 kilometres. We're going to get 57 laps, which is a total race distance of 308.326 kilometres. Now we're getting three DRS zones. I think that's only been like just clarified very recently. I, I, I think there was plans for only one at, at one point. Um, so hopefully that will bring some some closer racing. Uh, is, that, is that true? Is that, uh, uh, Coops, I, th- I thought it was only one. I thought there was only one DRS zone. That was from the... The three on... detection zones. I'm not sure we definitely know how many activation zones there will be. Right, okay. I think it was from the map that was on the Formula One app. You know, for the news, for the track, I'm sure it may be the it may be the case. Maybe they've uh, maybe they've just realised that there's there's not many opportunities for overtaking and thought, well, let's try and give them a hand. I, I, it, it hasn't. I know. I last time I saw it was only there was only one zone, which is why I was I, I question that. But you know, well, 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 yeah, I, it look it looks like from the picture that's on the group chat that we've got United States. It's the Formula One app. And it does have the three detect three zones in it with the three detection zones as well. So maybe very much last minute they've decided to add them in, but it's certainly here in front of me now. So I mean, I'm last. not surprised because turns eleven to sixteen looked like they were about to like completely kill any form of racing. Like if you look at the track map, like that bit does not look even with these new cars. And I think it's, I mean, because we all thought maybe DRS would be gone at the start of this year. Clearly it hasn't. If, if anything, the effect has become more powerful, mm. uh, which means it's super effective. Uh, and so we are seeing lots of overtakes. And so you're getting races like Imola where it's, you know, very, very DRS heavy. But I don't know if the solution is just to add more and more DRS signs. Mm. Like, you know, trying to put four around Albert Park or whatever because it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and then they had um, to take it take it out last minute. One of them, so yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it's not a great sticking plaster, is it? To just oh yeah, well I tell you what, we're, we're probably not going to get overtaken through these corners. Let's just slap a DRS zone down. It, not ideal, not ideal anyway. Um, okay, well that's that's kind of our opinion on the actual track. It's a car park. It does look like it might be difficult to overtake. Who do we think in terms of drivers are going to perform well uh, over the weekend? I'll go to you, Hazel, first. Uh, do you think Ferrari will be more dominant this weekend or do you think the Red Bull have sorted out their kinks now and they'll be they're more competitive at the front? I think it, to some extent it's going to depend on the temperature of the race. So Imola, we know it was actually very cold mm. compared to everywhere else. Obviously it was raining. Um, generally it's been quite chilly this season all round haven't really had a hot race uh, so Miami is going to be one of the first that's like properly warm possibly although now it's looking a bit like it might not be but so. um, famous last words <laughs> yeah, yeah but in, in theory Miami should be like relatively hot which I think will will hand more of the advantage back to Ferrari. Red Bull do have overheating issues. They they have turned out to have sort of like more problems with that. They also seem to have like more tire degradation issues. 
mm-hmm. uh, than Ferrari where they were better able to manage it. So, of course, all the teams are evolving a lot at the moment because, you know, these are new cars. And so every lap you run, you get a huge amount more information about the car and, and how to interpret it and whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's definitely not going to be Mercedes. <laughs> like. And unless something bizarre happens, you know, Toto Wolff has just put out, been sent out quotes by Mercedes where Toto Wolff said they now know what they think they need to do. And this is going to be a weekend where they test whether they're right Wow. Uh, on that. But yeah, that's that's not a, well, hey, we've solved it. That's a, we think this is the direction we have to go in to try and solve the problem that is still the same problem, which is the poor poisoning. And then they need to catch up uh, more more generally with development. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I mean, it'd be exciting to see some of the midfield teams get a little bit shaken up, maybe, maybe see sort of Alpha coming back in the way that they was in the first race. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, realistically, I think it's going to be Ferrari. Ferrari, okay. That's uh, that's. It's good to hear to hear the opinion because it's good to see this, the swing back and forth between the Ferrari and the Red Bull, a bit like we had last year um, with the Mercedes and the Red Bull. That's that's exactly what we want. We want kind of competition and them to change it up. Uh, Coops, do you think Red Bull are going to be plagued by the the fuel pump issue that they've had in previous races? Uh, is that going to be play a part in the weekend? The reliability or unreliability of the Red Bull team? Reliability might be an issue because I think the two teams that had DNFs, it was different things. It was never good. It was all connected to the fuel flow, though, wasn't it? One was the one was uh, the, the pump. Was, I think one was the, an oil leak, up. the other one was a vacuum or something. That right, yeah. Allow the fuel to get in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they've had some reliability issues, but then at the last race there at Imola, I mean, there was nothing. Mm. Everything worked well. There was no concerns. Even afterwards, they weren't borderline. They just got on with it. Same with Ferrari. Ferrari just. They've got a car that just looks particularly bulletproof. Not against, not against Carlos Sainz's mistakes or Charles Leclerc forgetting that there's a chicane to go through properly. Uh, it's shaping up to be a Red Bull Ferrari season, I think, with the occasional maybe cameo from a McLaren getting in there or, you know, if Mercedes sort themselves out the second half of the season, they might jump up. But I think, I think Mercedes are going to be a bit part in this season. I don't think they're going to catch up quickly enough to make themselves known unless we get unbelievably un- unbelievable unreliability from the top two but I, t- I have to go with Hazel it's it's looking a lot like Ferrari this year uh, especially this weekend I think Okay so in terms of the drivers then in ter- uh, from Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz let's talk about Carlos Sainz he's had a real bad run of luck Hazel he's going to be wanting to get on top of that bad luck do you think he's going to get in the right mind frame for this weekend? I mean for his sake, you have to hope he does, because uh, he really does need to. It's, uh, I mean, Carlos kind of has the same thing we've seen quite a lot of drivers struggle with, um, which is that he's just not particularly confident in the car mm. in the same way that the clerk is. And that makes it, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to overcome. And it does mean that you see drivers make mistakes, you see drivers overpush, you see drivers hit balls and whatever because they don't know where that edge is, where, where the bite of the car is. So, yeah, I think, yeah, you have to hope that he has a breakthrough, but it does feel a little bit like watching Ricardo last year, where you know there's a very talented driver in that cockpit. It's just that what they're doing with the car isn't always there. That said, Carlos has been, like, very fast. So 
if if he can avoid the walls or the pool, then um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it could be a good one. There's obviously a lot of runoff. There's there's not a lot of kind of like massive punishment around this track, uh, so that might be something where he can kind of use that to to build up a bit more confidence an interesting comment that i saw earlier in the week was from lando norris saying that he thinks the mclaren is now the third fastest car on the grid uh, which is great news for us as not so secret mclaren fans uh on the everything everyone podcast uh are you thinking the same same thing uh coops do you think uh, we'll see lando norris up in third again and do you think we'll see uh danny rick maybe even performing to the best of his ability this weekend <laughs> The best of his ability in a McLaren is not exactly a, a good thing, really. Well, if it's the uh, third fastest car, then, you know. Yeah, but they had, the third, they had a good car last year and they never done it. Uh, I don't know what it is about Ricardo McLaren. It's a marriage that should work and it just hasn't. But anyway, uh, I like McLaren and I like Daniel Ricardo. Please don't come at me. You've already done it. So, <laughs> yes, I think you're going to see Norris up there. I think Norris is going to be up, kicking about, as long as there isn't any shenanigans at the start. We do have a slight, a reasonably tight corner at the first corner. It's not a long start finish date before you get there. So, you know, as long as he doesn't trip up uh, uh, in the race or do something in qualifying, then yeah, I'll see them up there doing their thing. Uh, I, I just want, I want Danny Rick to do something. I would love to see him on the podium. Uh, and, you know, I wrote an article that kind of riled a few people. Because I said it failed. Uh, the McLaren-Ricardo uh, partnership had failed and people were like, oh, the weekend, he was on the hard tyres. I'm like, I'm not talking about the weekend. Read the article. <laughs> anyway, uh, but as I've tried to say, I've tried to respond to a few of the comments on it. I don't want him to fail. I like Daniel Ricardo, and I think he's a good driver, but he was brought into McLaren to do something and it didn't. Want to ha- he hasn't done it, so it's failed. Uh, you, can't, you can't argue that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going by like, he's brought in he's been paid a lot of money to be the main man in there with Lando Norris alongside him and he hasn't done it but I want him to do well so I want to see Norris third Ricardo fourth or the other way around or them taking the podiums or whatever when something happens so you know of all, I would love to see them I just don't see it I think there's just something it's just if there's excuse me if there's bad luck in McLaren Ricardo gets it getting a wee squirrel at the yeah. last race and ending up in the gravel along with signs or having the, the reliability issues at Saudi, I think it was. You know, it was all on Ricardo, whereas Lando Norris is up there getting podiums and kicking about the top end of the park. So, you know, yep, I would love to see it. Uh, I actually, to be honest, I really want to see Alfa Tauri do something because they've just been very disappointing. It's a shame. Um, okay, well, let's talk to Hazel about McLaren before we move on to AlphaTauri, but yeah. we will, we'll speak about AlphaTauri next. Can you kind of shine a light on why Danny Rick's not necessarily got into his stride this year or last year or whatever? It's just... I mean, last year it, it was a total loss of confidence in the car. He, he couldn't understand why he was slow, which is very difficult for a driver. You know, he felt that he was doing the right thing and he obviously wasn't. And having to adapt his driving style so much, I think, was very challenging and, and something that he wasn't expecting to have to do. So it clearly wasn't something that had been sort of flagged in simulator work or whatever pre-season. Then, you know, having some very low moments, you have to rebuild your confidence. Like we saw 
you know, Yuki Zenoda in Bahrain uh, came out and, and was called the most exciting rookie in years by Ross Braun and was fighting with Alonso. And then it took it, then he had a crash at Imola and it took him nearly the entire season to, to kind of recover form and, and to stop stop that loss of, of confidence. It, I, I feel like it's taken Ricardo more than the entire season to, to do the same. Is that because McLaren isn't as nurturing an environment as Alpha Tauri? Is it just that actually, uh, you know, Zenoda was in a place where he could accept his mistakes more because he's a rookie or mm. was a rookie? I don't know. But I think that what's happened with Ricardo is that he's in a pattern of bad luck and confidence damaging incidents. And those do severely affect drivers, especially with a new car where you're you're kind of having to guess at setup and stuff. If he is having problems getting the setup together, then they'll have to go with whatever Lando is saying. And mm. they don't they don't have a very similar driving style. So like that will be a problem. That said, I kind of feel that Daniel's issues this year are actually being kind of overstated. You know, he did miss a lot of running and testing, but so did the entire team in Bahrain yeah. when he had the uh, coronavirus. And you know, it it wasn't like Lando got a huge advantage by being able to run what was only just over 100 laps ultimately uh, they are missing a lot of track time they have had this front axle overheating problem which is which has been you know a real bane for them and and is really fixed uh like they've only been able to kind of improve the interim fix yeah uh, and then he has had you know overheating issues reliability issues etc and and he hasn't been like massively off the pace compared to norris um, it's been that he's had incidents, but like, you know, the reason he was uh, a long way back last race was because he had the incident with science on the first lap. But otherwise, him and Norris were, were exactly kind of what pretty much alongside each other, because yeah. otherwise he wouldn't have been hitting a Ferrari. So <laughs> uh, I, I think, yeah, we've, we've got a sort of, it's very tempting when you look at the numbers and when you look at like the Wikipedia kind of grid of how the year's gone to be like, well, this is proving to be another shocker for Ricardo. But I actually don't think it is. I, I've, I think he's fine this year, but there is some bad luck going on, some mm. incidents and like it's a new regulatory period. So every driver is going to have a run like this. We've got yeah. 23 races this year. If it's not happening to a driver now, it's going to be happening to them in 12 races time, you know. So, yeah, I think it will even now. And you can see uh, McLaren being high points, fourth and fifth uh, in this weekend? Um, I mean, the, so the advantage that McLaren have over every other team pretty much is that they fix the poor poison. Yeah. Uh, their car is barely poor poison. Obviously, if Mercedes could do the same thing, they, they I mean, they are the front-running Mercedes-powered team. Mm. Whether they can do a lot more with that power unit, I don't know, <laughs> which is unfortunate given it's frozen for a while now. But on the other hand, I also think there might be a bit of slow and steady wins the race with the Mercedes-powered teams because I suspect they've gone for reliability, um, which obviously last season they had some fairly major reliability issues. Mm. Um, and with a massive reduction in the number of parts that you can take and everything um, that again like we have to remember we're so early in the season whereas it, if we was discussing this kind of like I don't know October like say we're coming into Suzuka and yeah. all of the risks and all of the potential problems with the cars could look very very different 
Okay, well, let's move on to Alpha Tari then, uh, Coops, because you wanted to mention those. Uh, yeah. Do you think they're, they're going to change their luck this this weekend? Do you think uh, it's going to start coming right for, uh, well, I mean, Gasly uh, is, is historically been Mr. Consistent throughout the seasons. Um, Tuneiro has obviously been up and down, but what, what can you expect from from the, the the Red Bull Junior team this weekend? Well, I mean, I don't have, I don't have a, you know, I haven't got any insider information at the minute. They just don't seem to have the car underneath them like hmm. they had previously. They've kind of dropped back a wee bit. It's a bit uh, not quite to the extent of maybe Aston Martin, who kind of fell back quite a wee bit uh, yeah. compared to last year. But yeah, I just don't. I think I don't know if it's porpoise, and I haven't. I don't remember much conversation over weekends about them having a lot of purpose and issues, but then most teams, uh, as Hazel said, uh, just there, McLaren, I think it was purely by luck, the way they designed the car purpose and didn't seem to affect them. They had conversations with James Key over the testing and they went, no, we didn't know about purpose and we just, it just, our car just doesn't seem to be affected by it. You know, I think Mercedes were like, and how did you do that? Sorry, just, just <laughs> how, how did, how did what? You know, you know everyone wants to get, like, it, what everyone wants is for one of the McLarens to end up in a shunt where they have to be picked up on a crane. <laughs> everyone wants to look at the McLaren floor. Yeah. They've got the, they've got the four at the end of a stick, you know, the car just, like, mm. just, just like, uh, paying all the photographers to get as close as they possibly yeah. can. I mean, can you imagine if that McLaren front axle overheating didn't happen and they aren't poor poison, where McLarens could be after only a few races? I mean, mm. you know, we were all panicking. We, we we saw them in we saw them in Spain and we're like, oh great. Then they went to Paris and we're like, oh no. And then <laughs> they were fighting. They wouldn't even get out of Q3, you know. Mm. Uh, but they were bouncing, which is a good thing. But but then I I think that shows exactly how fine the margins are with these cars in terms yeah. of finding a comfort window because everyone knows so little about them. Mm. Um, and so it's like, yeah, you can just make one error, and now you've gone from being good in Barcelona to you can't stop your foot, like you literally cannot run your car. Like yep. that's that's the margin of error. I, mm. I would hate to be an engineer in Formula One this year because <laughs> they're like, it, we, oh, they we, love we it. only moved that like a millimeter and it's not working. <laughs> but it, the, the concepts yeah. are so different. I mean, if, if you looked at, obviously, we've had a couple of incidents where we've seen the bottoms of uh, cars, uh, and Ferraris is quite simplistic, really. Yeah, it's very um, basic. Eh? Very, very basic compared to some of the, you know, the extravagances of the of the Red Bull. But obviously, it works for for the Ferrari team. So, and then, then you had uh, Mercedes coming out with the zero side pod idea, which mm. for anyone listening. And from what I understand, that the zero side pod concept has got nothing to do with the issues. Porpoising doesn't affect the side pod. It's not. I think it's to do with isn't the it, underneath. Isn't it the, the 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 floor is flexing because it hasn't got any supports from where side pods would usually be. So therefore, the, the, there's a, a slight flexibility um, in the floor. Sorry, I'm using my hands here. I probably yeah, that's, no, that's no need for stuff it. Really. For the podcast, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the floor the floor's flexing because they've they've literally just got kind of connecting wires or or struts um, going down from to, just to the floor to to hold it up. Um, I, I hear that's slightly part of their problem, um, which obviously the zero side pod does. It is part of the reason, but not necessarily directly. If that makes sense. Yeah, it might be a kind of after effect if they change it. I mean, if they come out in Spain with a big update and they've got side pods all of a sudden, then it's like <laughs> ah, okay, so we know what the problem was then. But yeah. It, you know, the whole grid to different ones. I mean, I listened to another podcast and they, they saw the Ferrari 
and they were like, I don't understand this side pod concept. I don't get it. it, it it's the front of the car is not connected to the back of the car. And then they're winning all the races and they're fast and they're reliable. So, you know, even seasoned people who, you know, worked within Formula One who came out and said the Ferrari looks disconnected, but it's winning races. And then they said that this other car looks really good and it's languishing in the midfield. So, I mean, it was great for us as fans, every single car that came out, except maybe Red Bull when they launched the car, <laughs> uh, which wasn't a car. It was and, just a livery. It was a livery thing. And then you had, you know, Haas came out. It was Aston Martin that forgot to put the front wishbone in the, the car the car that they put online. Uh, so everyone wondered what, what they're doing with the front suspension. But, you know, once you got to see the cars, you know, it was great. They were all different and they were all, it was, you know, it's it was an exciting time, but, you know. This weekend then, who 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 that we haven't spoken about are you looking forward to seeing going around the Miami track? We'll go to Hazel as well because you're our guest. We'll go to you first. Uh, the teams that we haven't spoken about today. Aston Martin could be one. Uh, Haas could be another. Who, who uh, I was going to say, Aston have made like a significant recovery. Like they, they had a good finish because, um, I mean, mm. let's face it, they were on zero points and they didn't look likely to get off zero points anytime soon. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they had a very good weekend in Imola. Both drivers looked competitive. Mm-hmm. Car was reliable. Um, it like huge, huge turnaround for them as well because uh, they had no spare parts left after the Australian Grand Prix because, of course, the, both drivers had crashes. Yeah, and and Vettel had multiple ones, so completely wiped out their entire spares. And then the team had to also work to bring an upgrade to Imola, which, like, you know, you had Mike Crack saying, "Yeah, it's really incredible that we've done this, but we cannot keep doing this. Like, like this can't happen. We can't have weekends like Australia leading into mm. uh, Imola, and especially because this is the spread out bit of the calendar, yeah, like, compared to how it's going to get." later on so yeah they've they've got an upgrade that clearly is improving things their poor poisoning is less bad than it was and the car seems to be a lot more stable it'll be interesting if they're not having to rush to try and build completely real build their spares and you know running the composites print uh, or the you know 3d printers and composites 24 hours a day and whatnot then i think yeah it could it could be that they've now got a little bit of positive momentum could mm-hmm. be that they turn up at miami and they've changed something slightly and it's a complete horror show um but that's <laughs> the case for all teams at the minute you know yeah. you, you can you can think you've got something perfect and it turns out to just make it a lot worse let's hope that doesn't happen because we, we all want to see movement of, of cars mm. closer to the front and being more competitive. Go on then, Coop, you choose somebody to talk about, a team or a driver. Well, Mag- I mean, is, are we going to see Magnussen in the points after his positive start? Well, every time we do the predictions for TikTok, every single bold prediction I make is Michael Sch- eh, Michael. Mick Schumacher is going to get himself some points. Now, I've done it for Saudi, he didn't even race. I've done it for Australia. <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened to this year, I can't remember now. But, you know, I've done it every time, he's never done it. So, so I, it's your I fault. His, uh, yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I want, we could talk about Williams. Uh, I did find it funny that the engineers did ask if they could strip the car of all the paintwork <laughs> to save some, to save, like completely get rid of everything <laughs> to make it this black carbon fibre car and the marketing team... I mean, went, it would we, look cool. It would, <laughs> yeah. But the marketing team are like, we kind of need somewhere to put the stickers to say it's a Williams. <laughs> you, know, you know, it did look really cool at the last race where they stripped off as much as they possibly could. Um, 
So, but it would know, be unique. So it's just the sponsors that would would be uh, a bit annoyed, really. Yeah, the, the the W at the side, they wouldn't be too happy. Just get white Tipex on it or something. I don't know. Like, is that that's, lighter than the stuff they that's use? Extra weight. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, <laughs> so I mean, clearly they have issues. Then, if they're wanting to get rid of all the livery, I mean, I know Aston Martin have done it to a point. They've they've stripped back. McLaren have done it. They were they were very orange, and now they've just got black with some orange and blue dotted about. You know, so teams are doing it because none of them are meeting the weight. They're all very heavy. Uh, but you know, it's a just... really extreme thing to do, though, because the thing is, like, paint in Formula One because obviously they don't just like go down home base or whatever and grab some like <laughs> magnolia white or whatever, uh, slap it on the wall and hope your landlord doesn't notice what you've done. <laughs> But speaking like, from experience, <laughs> but yeah, the the way that they paint the cars and and the way that they strip off the paint um, is part of the way that they thermally manage the cars. So like some bits of uh, it would kind of need to be covered, or or like bare carbon fiber is obviously going to behave differently thermally mm. if it's in sunlight or or if it's um, the source of external heat transfer. Um, than if it if it's covered with paint, um, whether that's better or worse, I don't know. But it's going to be different to the way that it was originally designed. So especially yeah. like on the side pods and things, which are very important for cooling. And again, because bare carbon fiber is not the same texture as a paint, then you can end up with different things. Like Formula One teams really muck around with their paints. Like the the Red Bull very matte paint is a specific cooling thing. Mm. Um, that they do so yeah it's a very extreme move to take all the paint off your car because although it sounds stupid but this is f1 and everything is part of the performance of the car mm-hmm. it is part of the performance of the car yes i've never I, I don't think i've ever heard of a team wanting to do that at any other point in formula one take paint off a car to that extent didn't the Mercedes did it in the 1950s or something? Didn't they? They, yeah. they, 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 they literally, uh, you know, oh, historically was, uh, was, back in the day, it was just steel. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't the put any paint on. Literally painted on. Yeah, uh, I think that's where the silver arrows came from. I think, but uh, yeah, in modern Formula One, shall we say, tell mm. uh, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. But you know, as 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 Hazel says, everything's done or asked for for a reason. It was interesting that. It wasn't FIA that said you couldn't do it. It was the marketing team that were like from Williams that went, no, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> Literally because <laughs> our sponsors won't know what this is. So I just found it quite funny. I found it quite amusing. Okay, well, let's make our predictions for the weekend then. Uh, I, I think we've, we kind of know who you're going to say, but let's let's all pick a top three um, for the race in Miami to close the preview for Miami Grand Prix. Uh, so I'll go to Coops first. You can you can be the first person to put your cards on the table. Who, who's your top three? Okay, uh, Leclerc, Verstappen, and Norris. Ooh, three different teams, three different constructors, and yeah, it's good. Yeah, why not? Hazel, have you got a, an advancement on that? Uh, Science Perez Russell. Science does need a good race. I think he, he deserves it, and it's about time. I think so. I, I, I you know, what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna copy Hazel for my f- number one step. I'm gonna say Carlos Science too. Um, I will say, I do still think Max Verstappen will be on the podium. So I'm gonna say second. I'd love Lando to be third, but I think it'll be Charles Leclerc behind him in third. So I'm gonna say 
Ferrari is going to be split by Max Verstappen with Carlos Sainz first and Charles Leclerc third. Okay, well, that's our preview of the Miami Grand Prix. So coming up this weekend, we hope you all enjoy it. Um, certainly, we're kind of looking forward to it and kind of not looking forward to it. But, you know, it's, it's Formula One racing, so it's something to watch over the weekend. Okay, now we're going to talk to Hazel about her experience with FE. But before we do that, actually, we've got our sponsor, sponsor to, to mention, uh, Coops. Have, have you used your razor yet? You've been sent a, a razor, a shaver um, by Manscaped. Have you given it a go? I have, but not quite in the way it was designed. As the ginger Viking, it has been used to help manscape the old neckline. Uh, as anyone with beards will know, that can cause a bit of an issue. And it's a nice... A nice clean shave without it, any irritation. It, oh, it's cracking! You know, I've got another one, and that, you know that one was that, that's cracking. But yeah, I mean, I've I've used the the lotions and stuff, the deodorant and stuff like that. It's very nice. Uh, but yeah, I haven't took the plunge yet on the full the full blown manscaping, shall we say? Support for the Everything F One podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate in men's hygiene bundle. Now join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. You will get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code EF1 at manscaped.com. Now, if my maths is correct, that's about 8 million balls. Well, give or take a few. I got sent the performance package 4.0, which included this nasal hair trimmer, which is good for me because I am a man of a certain age where those sorts of hairs are growing. You've got a full box here. I, it's very difficult to see if you're on Facebook because my green screen's playing up. But I mean, oh, there you go. It's completely disappeared. But in that package, you can see you've got a trimmer, you've got ball deodorant, you've got serums, you've got boxer shorts, which are really super comfortable. They're a good addition to the package. Uh, and basically, it's, 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 you know, a very good idea for you to sign up. If you need a new trimmer uh, and you do want to look, look, look after yourself down there, head to manscaped.com and use the code EF1 at checkout to get yourself 20% off and free shipping worldwide. So that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code EF1. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Now we can move on to our conversation uh, with Hazel. Um, so, Hazel, you are a journalist. How long have you been a journalist for? Uh, so I've been a journalist for 17 years. Wow. Um, uh, and I've been, um, or I've been like, working in and around motorsport since um, pretty much when Formula E started in, in 2014. Okay, so uh, mo was motorsport always just something you watched as a hobby, uh, and then you, you kind of got, got into that for journal uh, from journalism, or did you uh, were you kind of pulled into into FE and then kind of learnt motorsport from there when that started? No, I, I was always a motorsport nerd. Um, like <laughs> uh, some of my earliest races, earliest memories are watching Formula One back when. If you ever look back on like early '90s races, it's very surreal. Like seeing how bad the graphics and all of the camera work and stuff is compared to now. Uh, like I know we can play now, but um, yeah, on a, on a CRT telly, it looks like you're watching something from like the 1960s, a very short time ago. Yeah, um, no, I know. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, so I was always a, a, a motorsport fan, and and like all motorsport, like I loved rally. Um, obviously got to enjoy the, the Colin McRae, Carlos Sainz era, which is uh, particularly good. And like, yeah, everything like that. Um, wanted to be a Formula One driver, 
uh, don't think my parents had any idea what that would have entailed, even if they had the money to do so. Um, <laughs> but they managed to get me like pretty good with the fact that I was also like quite a, a, a environmentalist and always had been. No, good. And which does marry very poorly, or certainly did with the screaming V12 era. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Formula E was kind of an opportunity as well because it is very hard to get into F1 like we know all those things have changed somewhat Mm -hmm. you know there there definitely was a point where it was virtually impossible to get in unless you knew the right people and the right people you had to know was like very different social class to the people I knew so yeah 2014 was sort of an opportunity where I could see that there was a way for me to get access to do journalism in motorsport Mm-hmm. And also uh, where there was a way of like marrying up the kind of environmentally conscious stuff with uh, being a fan of it. And then also uh, because I'm, I've always been kind of like mechanically interested. So the fact that there was this opportunity to sort of talk about batteries and electric powertrains and mm-hmm. uh, regen, which at the time, you know, regen, no one really talks about it or, or properly kind of understood what it was. Whereas now I feel like there's at least a little bit of awareness of it. Maybe that's me being too embedded in my job. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, there's definitely a lot more awareness of it nowadays, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it was sort of, sort of an opportunity to to do something that I wanted to do. Excellent. Well, you you're, you were at the FE race over the weekend in Monaco, weren't you? Would you consider that one of the uh, one of the more exciting races on the FE circuit? Um, I thought it was a very good race weekend. Um, so... Last year's was incredibly vintage, but I also think um, last year stood out so much uh, because the start of the season had actually been really poor in in Formula E terms. Mm. Um, There have been some shocking races, uh, like the Valencia pass. So then to come to Monaco, and it was the first time we've been running the full circuit. Yeah. Well, nearly the full circuit last year was like five metres short, and now actually is the full circuit. The... Yeah, to to come to Monaco and and for it to be like really, really good, kind of maybe over-elevated last year, uh, comparative to this year's, because I think both of them were very good races, both of them were strategic races. You know, you uh, you saw Mitch Evans, the pole sitter, suffer from having the lead because he was, you know, the drivers behind were sitting in his slipstream and he was Mm over-consuming relative to them. So... Like, because he was saying he was hitting all his energy targets, so yeah. doing absolutely fine. And then when, when eventually they showed on the timing tower what energy everyone else had remaining, there's his engineer going like, "You're way over!" Like, oh my god. Mm. Even though actually, he like he'd been he'd been on for the race that he was expecting to run, but it was just that the cars behind had been able to save so much energy. So yeah, lots of lots of interesting strategic stuff. A bit of the nonsense with like a Verlaine's car just deciding not to, mm-hmm. and uh, and and a bit of kind of argy bargy Formula E nonsense. But yeah, I th- I think Formula E cars are only a foot and a half shorter and half a foot slimmer than Formula mm. One cars, but they look so different around Monaco. Um, like Monaco is very obviously made for Formula E cars yeah. in that respect, or, or Formula E size cars compared to Formula One, which did, you know they when they're trying to get around the chicane, it looks like a bus. Um, <laughs> so it's a really good event. It's obviously the one that most directly invites comparison to Formula One, and people will say, well, they're slower and whatever, and yes, yes, they are because 
Formula E cars weigh 203 kilograms more than this year's <laughs> Formula One cars. Mm. And they're down like 665 horsepower. So like, of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they're not racing on their own edge. No, and, of course. Oh, maybe that's what's exciting is seeing any vehicle pushed to, to its limits. And I will say, I've never been massively, I was not, I, for the first couple of seasons of, uh, of FE, I was not massively into it. Um, I watched a few races last year and I've committed this year to make sure I watch every single race because uh, I, I, from what I've seen, the, the, the racing is very close, they're very competitive. Um, and obviously you get a bit of argy-bargy through a lot of the corners, uh, lots of uh, bits of uh, carbon fibre going all over the place. Um, so it's uh, it, it's interesting to watch and it, it's quite exciting racing. And we, we've had Sam Bird from uh, Jaguar uh, come on uh, and he's obviously, unfortunately, he retired over the weekend, didn't he? So uh, he, he didn't have a, a very good race. But Van Dorn was the winner in... which is which is good for the Mercedes. Nick De Vries was, didn't achieve... Where was he? Was he seventh or eighth? I can't remember now. It was something like that, wasn't he? Yeah, he sort of he sort of just about crawled into the point. The something that that seems to have happened this year because last year you could quite often see teams had a good weekend and then a bad weekend. Mm. This season it feels more like one person from a team has a good weekend or one person from a team has a bad weekend. Mm. Um, uh, and so you know you have. Evans on pole and coming second and yes of course he wanted the win but still it's a good result um, and then you have Bird having what was ultimately a pretty terrible day Yeah. and uh, yeah sort of slightly similarly Stoffel getting the win but Nick having like just a scruffy race Yeah. Uh, and it, he was really only in the points uh, from other people's retirement so yeah I think I've I think new qualifying format has definitely, um, it's not really left drivers anywhere to hide. Like at the end of the day, you just have to turn up and do it. Yeah. And you can't kind of grouse around and play and blame groups or whatever. Um, on the other hand, it has also given teams a lot of demand for the way that they implement their qualifying strategy, the way they sort out tyre warm up. And so, yeah, there will there will always be elements of like someone got it that micro milliliter millimeter uh, more right, yeah. and especially like uh, Jean Eric Van Jeb, he hates being called Jean Eric. Like never do it. Uh, I think like his mum's allowed to do it, uh, but otherwise he's Jeb. But he was saying, and he's the only driver who's won two titles, and the only driver who's won a title in both generations so far hmm. uh, of Formula. But he, you know, it's the fourth year of Gen 2. Everyone knows this uh, car back to front. Like, and it's the second year of these powertrains as well. So mm. everyone knows all the weaknesses of their powertrain. There's nothing anyone's still trying to work out about these powertrains. Um, they just know that they've got to implement it and operationally do the right things, make sure that they've done the right programming work beforehand, that they've run the right simulator, things that they've got the correlation completely right. And then they've got to make sure that on the day, all of those tiny elements of timing are put together correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, he was saying it's it's no longer good enough to get a result to just be good. You actually like you have to get it down to completely perfect details, which when you don't have live telemetry mm. and like it's a very short day with not very much gap to kind of debrief and analyze anything like there's a lot that the drivers have to manage themselves and and work out in a race. 
like literally doing calculations as they're racing. Which mm. is, some of them can come across as like maybe not the smartest people in terms of perhaps practical skills. Yeah. Uh, but like they really do have to be incredibly clever to, to be able to do it. Well, Coops, you've got a question for Hazel? Uh, I saw the pictures of the Gen 3 car. The Arrowhead. As yes. I'm calling yes. it. <laughs> now, this, the, the, the technical specs, I was when I was writing the notes, comparing it to Gen 1 to Gen 3, I mean, it's amazing. You're up to, I think yeah. it was 140 mile an hour top speed, you're going to 200 mile an hour. But in that respect, that's great. And it's going to make our dry, uh, racing really good. But it, it looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's pictures or if you've seen the. Have you seen it up close? I mean, am I am I missing? Yeah. Something? So, I, I mean, I've seen it up close, and I have to say, it doesn't. It doesn't actually look bad. To be honest, it looks like a race car, and that's fine. That's what it is. It is smaller. It is lighter. Like it's got markedly race car features. Because the thing is, when you just see a render or something, you've got no sense of scale. Mm-hmm. So actually, what is quite striking is that it's um quite petite uh mm. and um and it's got significantly lighter than gen 2 which is again a good thing um but on the other hand um it is ultimately a bit of a disappointment relative to gen 2 because when gen 2 appeared there was this very exciting buzz around it because it looked so cool mm. um I do understand the kind of concept that you go like, well, chuck that out. We're going to go for purity of racing. We're going to go for purity of concept. You know, race cars are smaller, should be smaller light. We're going to um, buck particularly the EV trend of vehicles getting heavier and bigger. Um, Like these were all important factors and things like using less carbon fiber is an environmental factor. So literally removing those wheel covers and, and, um, uh, and making the car look different, yeah, it, aesthetically it's not as amazing, but the technology is, I understand why people feel um, underwhelmed. I also understand why the teams are very frustrated uh, with Gen 3 and, and why there's been a bit of a lack of buzz about it in some senses, because, you know, we are six months away from pre-season testing. No team has a chassis, none of them. Mm. One one driver has driven the Gem Free car, and it's Benoit Trelloy, who has done it for testing for Spark. Um, at the moment, Spark are furiously trying to manufacture um, Gem Free cars, but you know we're getting to the point where they really need to have their powertrains in. They really need to be going testing because um, Formula E, you do get testing outside of the, the um, uh, official event. Yeah, um, and. Oh, well, it's regulated and, and whatever, but it's, um, and so for the for the team, it's um, uh, yeah, I do I do understand that that there's a lot of frustration and that people are very kind of, you know, the fact we don't know what the format is going to be, and we can't know there's a chicken and egg element to it because the teams need to get hold of the chassis mm. to be able to kind of test the limits of what they can do. There's already been a bit of walk back with it, so there's a there's uh, motor generator units on the front and the rear axle and the rear axle is the one that teams are designing themselves and the front is um, generic in theory 
it was going to be a drive to both of them. So you would have six, um, 600 kilowatt regen and you would have potentially 600 kilowatt output, which right. is huge. Mm. Um, but that's had to be walked back because they don't have those motors. They can't start programming for that. Right, okay. So, like, yeah, I, it's a shame, and I do understand that it's because of things that are out, kind of out of anyone's control because a lot of it is, you know, global supply chain issues uh, around the world that were affecting particularly automotive very, very badly, but they're also affecting aviation and things, you know. Yeah. There isn't, there's a shortage of carbon fiber, literally. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's very, uh, there's a shortage of chips, there's a shortage of all kinds of things. I do understand this. Um, it's a very difficult scenario, but I also, we really have to get a shift on with Gemfree now. Like this has got to get momentum and, and the teams need to be going out testing and they need to receive... In theory, they're getting them this month, mm. but and if they don't, I think there's going to be a riot. So, <laughs> yeah. Am I right in saying that Formula E is going back to that kind of two-year calendar again? Because I know it was pushed to a single year due to COVID. Am I right in saying come? I think the next one they're going to start again at the end of the year and move into the following year, like they've done. Like a football uh, season does across two, yeah. Two, yeah, two they, years. Yeah, they kind of yeah. capitalised in the time where there was no racing. You know, to yeah. get the eyes on them. Uh, yes, which is now only about six weeks anyway, because there's so much F1. But um, <laughs> yeah, in in theory, uh, yeah, Formula E, it, it's been an era, as it were. The, the, it, it's been across a single year. It's just been because of uh, movement around uh, movement around COVID and um, that sort of thing. So yeah, um, they will be trying to go back to to something more like the original calendar and mm. probably almost trying to walk it backwards a little bit. Um, yeah. The, the biggest thing I see with Formula E this year is the gaps. See, they had a couple of races yeah. close together, then you were, what was it, eight weeks or six weeks where there was nothing? Yeah, I mean, season? in a way, this season hasn't been... Well, no, that's a lie. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, Saudi and Mexico were two weeks apart, which is unnecessarily close for races that are nowhere near each other. <laughs> um, and then we had a colossal break until Rome mm. because we didn't have what could have been the China TVC round. Mm. Um, there, there has been that rounds lost from the calendar. Um, and of course, you know, everything is still in flux. You know, Formula One, you know, look at even if you manage to mitigate everything to do with COVID and no series has, mm. um, then look at what happened with Sochi. You know, you, you can't predict how these events run, and particularly when it's vulnerable events like city centre events, like Formula E in season three yeah. uh, had a very disruptive calendar. Um, and it was because there were a load of terror attacks in European city centres. And so all the city centres were like, you absolutely cannot, freaking dump a racetrack in here and have people in grandstands yeah. like absolutely 100% not like the security will we we can't assure that um so yeah there, there was a lot of movement that that was when we started seeing things like berlin becoming a double header because it, it was what it was um formerly used to seem to be very good at reacting um, and and seem to be able to to manage the calendar. 
I don't know. Well, I do. I, I mean, clearly there's a lot of challenges to what's going on now. Mm. Um, but it does feel like things have, have got very much harder for them to manage the calendar. Speaking of um, massive calendar gaps, was writing a W series preview uh, earlier today, and uh, I noticed they've got a proper Formula E golf in theirs, <laughs> um, which is that uh, there's three races in or three events. Um, yeah. No, there's sorry, two in no, Miami. There's a double header at there's Miami. Two isn't in it? Miami, and then Barcelona in May, hmm. um, and then they've got um, uh, three rounds in uh, July. And then the next time that they turn up, it's uh, for the last four races, three events, because um, they've got a doubleheader in Mexico, hmm. it's October. <laughs> wow. So there's a massive gap, yeah. People yeah, are going like, to forget that W Series is on. Gap. Mm. Two and a half um, months. Like, because I, I know there's a pretty sizable gap in the Formula 2 calendar between September and November, but July to to October is like that's rather a yeah for, for a series that, that then or it keeps going from kind of like back to back to nothing to back to back to yeah. like and and of course like you know W series will have done everything that they can to try and sort that out but they also they're a support series they don't even kind of plan where they turn up in that in that respect so yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a tricky time for everyone You'd think from a, a series that's trying to really take off and stick in people's memories that having a race quite regularly, at least, or a, maybe a season compacted towards kind of, you know, together um, would be a bit more ideal, really. But, but, having... but then if you compact the season, then you end up with things like Formula E's had repeatedly where we've had like basically nine, uh, between nine and six months with nothing. Yeah. And then people forget you even exist. So it's a difficult uh, tightrope to walk, isn't it? I guess it's uh, it's, a, it's a balancing act. Uh, I think but- uh, a uh, formal you not got another bit of a gap now with the Canadian wouldn't drop it. Uh, uh, yes, I, I actually don't think that's going to be too bad. I think I think it's only like three weeks or something, which oh, right. to be honest, yeah. not not, it's, it's, not a huge deal. Okay, well, let's, let's ask you a couple of questions anyway uh, on your uh, again personal kind of career. Uh, your Who's been your favourite person to interview uh, uh, in in motorsport? Oh, um, oh, it's Lucas Degrassi. Oh, okay. um, like there's there's a lot of drivers that are really uh, great to speak to, and, and like particularly there's a few Mitch Evans in Formula E and Pierre Gasly in Formula One are really good examples of this. Drivers who you ask a question and they work so hard to answer it, mm. um, like because sometimes you ask a question and the driver will just kind of give you a monosyllabic thing and you're like come on please um <laughs> whereas like um i used to run a competition with some of my friends if he was doing like a 10 minute interview with mitch it would be like who could get the most questions in because he he would give you so much detail and talk so much that you you pretty much had to only plan like one or two <laughs> um uh but yeah lucas is uh, a driver who thinks a huge amount um he's someone who's very enthusiastic and passionate and sort of curious and, and particularly on the technical side and, and um talk to him a lot um he also is just a quote machine like <laughs> um i remember the valencia testing at the start of season five which was the start of gen two 
um, he, <laughs> all of the drivers were like, oh, it's so great. We've got brake by wire now. It's perfect. Much better. Mm. No, and, and everyone's like, brake by wire, it's the stuff. And I was like, I bet I can get loose. It's rubbish. Um, <laughs> and I was like, what, what do you think about the introduction of brake by wire? And he was like, oh. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and he was just like, it shouldn't exist as a driver aid. And I was like, oh, I knew I could rely on you. Um, but yeah, he's, he, he's someone who I'm very lucky to, to be able to say I know and, and who um, I always have like great interviews with him. But yeah, him and, and a, a lot of my lot, in Formula E, Jeb and, and people. But to be honest, th- there's relatively few drivers who are like terrible interviews. Mm. Um, well, they're all trained think, in it now, aren't they? It's part, part of their, their kind of process of coming through the ranks, I guess. They get the kind of mm. the media media training. Yeah, actually, that is, that is quite a nice factor in Formula E because like people don't pounce on their words. Right. Because um, it's not as sort of, the, the focus isn't quite so so tight as in Formula One. Mm. Um, so yeah, they they'll come out with some stuff. <laughs> Spe- speaking of quotes, uh, your man Degrassi and his teammate Mortara had a bit of a set to it. I yeah, think Mortara did. quoted out that Degrassi was the butcher of Formula E after the teammates touched near the end of the race there, it's just like, oh, that's going to be a tasty debrief, that, is it not? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've, I've heard drivers say some pretty... Because the thing is, there's no gap for them to cool down in Formula E. They go straight to media pen. Mm. Um, and with some series, they might be kind of exhausted, and so you get them a bit more placid. With Formula E, they're just fired up because they've just done 45 minutes and, like, the adrenaline is going and they're, they're like... Um, so, unless it's been a, like, very, very, very hot race, which we do have, um, then they're usually kind of, like, relatively raring. And, like, I've definitely heard them say, like, a lot of stuff. They have a lot of rows in French in the media pen, <laughs> which they seem they seem to assume that, like, no one speaks French. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there's 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 a fair number who could have had a Bohemian incident, even though his is funny. It is it, the famous one, mm. um, uh, but uh, they're also. I, I think everybody understands that the stuff that you say when you're rolled up and here's yeah. the moment and coming out with something isn't. You know, you quite often see them kind of visibly calm down over the course of a few interviews because mm. um, yeah, when you've just when you've just taken a knock and you're in a bit of pain, possibly, and and uh, you're cross about your result, then yeah, you're going to come out with some rubbish. Sam Bird and Mitch Evans had a proper like calling each other idiots, and and uh, <laughs> I can't remember which. Uh, I think it was Sam about Mitch was like, oh, he should lose his license or whatever. When they, it was before they were teammates. The year before they were uh, the teammates, when they hit each other in Diria. Mm. Um and uh, so, and when they were announced as teammates, the only thing I could think of was it. But like the fact is, they had actually calmed down and made up by the time they they'd left media pen. You know, it, mm. they all do get. I mean, there's a few of them that do actually genuinely loathe each other, but that's like that's <laughs> generally kind of like off track stuff. The mm. on track stuff tends to get more easily sorted. So. 
I'm going back to you again because Coops took it away from you, but I'm going to bring it back to you. If you could interview anyone from past uh, or to present in any motorsport, who would you choose? They could, they could be dead, they could be living, they could be, you know, I don't know. Who, who, who would you like to interview? Um, I think it would be very interesting now to speak to Lella Lombardi, um, ah, yes. who, who unfortunately is dead. Hmm. Um, and her husband for quite some time. Um, but yeah, to speak to Lella um, would be, yeah, uh, something incredibly interesting to do. And I, I think like the the lens that she could be, or, or kind of the, the positioning of an interview with Lella now would be completely unlike any interview that she ever did, you know, back in, in the time when she was racing. And there aren't even that many of them from then. So, like, yeah, I think, oh, I think be, she'd be my pick. She'd be great. She'd be, like I say, she, there'd be so much more acceptance for, uh, you know, her as a, a lesbian, uh, you know, and, and a, a female driver. It would be absolutely amazing to bring her. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's a cracking answer, actually. Uh, very good. Uh, Coops, you got a, another question for Hazel? What attracted you to Formula E as a series? It seems to have got, it doesn't get highlighted in a very nice way. And I think I, I read on Twitter, I, I can't remember, so apologies to who it was, but somebody wrote on Twitter about the disdain for it. And I think you replied to it, mm. and I read your reply to it. What was it and f- what, what attracted you to it? Um, to some extent, or to some extent that, um, uh, because... Um, I mean, well, I I think everybody loves an underdog, um, mm. and like, but some people don't. <laughs> um, and when Formula E first appeared, it was this like scrappy little thing that was going bankrupt four times a week, and was barely kind of wobbling along on its, its wonky little wheels. And um, I think I liked there was something very appealing to me about the energy of this thing that sort of shouldn't have existed. Mm. like all been possible and I think the fact that it was only kind of being held together with like duct tape and hope was quite appealing in a sort of like punk way mm. um and, <laughs> uh, and yeah I used to I used to work in the humanitarian sector and also in in music journalism um uh, both there's a, there's a lot of that there but you don't think about it in motorsport because everything's kind of like pretty well planned. well I mean aside from like sticking Jeanette's back together with um well, with literal duct tape and whatnot, but um, <laughs> like, yeah, there was it had a sort of little deranged energy to it, um, mm. and and also, I think if the racing had been totally naff, then no. Um, but the fact that the racing was good and mm. that there was there was plenty of kind of um, stuff to follow from, even from that first season when like. You know, in theory, everyone had a generic car, but the truth was they, they didn't quite. <laughs> there was a sort of like shortage of all kinds of bits. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, there's, I think it was something where I was like, this is pretty mad. I want to be able to say I was here for the start of this and, <laughs> and that I saw it. Um, and also just, I don't know, the more people tell me something's rubbish, the, the more I'll kind of <laughs> tell them to get lost like the I think if you're so worried about the opinion of 
other people that you can't enjoy something that is factually good mm. um, and is fun, uh, then that's your problem. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it had it had a little bit of like the kind of the, the punkish vibe that uh, when I was writing about pop music, when it was very unfashionable and stuff, it was, it was a little similar vibe to that. I mean, well, I, when I when I first got involved involved when I first started watching it, sorry, it took me aback. Like watching the driver jump into the pits, jump into another car that had this mm. kind of marquee thing you buy from B and Q, and they were driving back out. And I'm going, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> uh, and then of course I saw uh, was it Nick Heidfeld that hit uh, one of the other drivers and ended up bouncing off a barrier and did about fourteen cartwheels. Then he got out of the car and chased the yeah. driver down the track. And you're like, what? What is this? Like. Uh, and then I think I think did the first season championship not was it not like, like last race first corner shenanigans yeah. or something it was like wow um, so it was the last uh, it went down to the wire in the last race um, uh, the the first year's championship uh, to the point that the commentators were trying to work out if um, Nelson Piquet Jr. had won in the booth as he crossed the line and they're like telling him he's won and they're like has he won <laughs> um, uh, and um, uh, the next year uh, was uh, the start of the Degrassi Buemi uh, era of fighting and um, Degrassi said he would crash Buemi out to win the championship and did at turn one um, Ooh, and very set uh, across nice. oh yeah yeah very much <laughs> um, and then the next year uh, was when Buemi looked dead certain to win the title again um, but had to miss two races in New York and he was still ahead going into the final weekend and then completely destroyed his car in FB1. <laughs> like, mm. just completely destroyed it. Um, <laughs> and the team had to spend the entire rest of the day trying to rebuild it to the point that he actually did go out in a completely bare carbon fiber car because they didn't have time to put the stickers on it. They just about managed to get the sponsor transfers on. Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna move away again because you keep, keep dragging it, dragging us back in, Coops. You keep dragging us back into to FE talk. I want to we want to talk about Hazel. Let's get your prediction for the season. Then, are you gonna go with Ferrari or Red Bull, or are you gonna pick someone outside uh, of those for to win the Formula One Championship this year? Uh, so I do think it's probably Ferrari's year. Um, okay. uh, I'm sure there will be some spectacular shenanigans along the line. Uh, as we go along the season, but I don't think that currently Red Bull uh, are in a position where they're, they're looking like they're going to challenge um, for the championship. Um, I think being a solid second for them would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it's, I say this, it's Ferraris to lose and they have done it before. So, <laughs> um, well, they are the best at doing that. <laughs> and do, do you uh, think it'll be a Charles Leclerc, Charles Leclerc, little DBE hey, winner, or well, Carlos Sainz? Everything right now would point to Leclerc. Um, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I think I think the likelihood of Leclerc coming out on top it, it, between the two of them is, is very high. Um, mm. If if science was a bit more comfortable in the car, I might say that he's a little bit more level headed. Um, sometimes in terms of, of um, just being able to plug in point scoring results on weekends if they weren't having a great one. Um, mm. But uh, And obviously he did beat Leclerc last year. 
Um, but yeah, he he just he doesn't seem particularly comfortable in the car right now. So so I think it'd be silly to back anyone else other than Leclerc. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I think it's I think it's Charles Charles. Yeah, um, I can I can see it being his championship. But you know, these are the famous last words. We've said similar things in in historic podcasts and got it completely wrong. So. You never know that things can change as the year progresses. Okay, well let's let's do a rundown of the news then. Sorry, that that's uh, I think you've answered the questions that I kind of had focused for you. We've, we'll just have a very quick five minute rundown of, of the news because I've realised what how long we've we've been going on for uh, in this podcast so far. Um, Audi and Porsche have said that they're going to they're set to join Formula One from twenty twenty six onwards. It's not all officially confirmed, um, but. The CEO, Herbert Diaz, uh, confirmed in an interview broadcast by Volkswagen uh, that Porsche is pretty concrete and Audi's not quite as firm, but is is, is very likely. Uh, will you be excited to see that happen? Well, yes, I'm uh, excited for it. Uh, from what I can gather, Porsche look like they're joining up with Red Bull and they're taking on Red Bull. They're going to take on the Red Bull powertrain side of things, so mm-hmm. making a Red Bull Porsche kind of thing, a bit like the Aston Martin, but a bit more technically involved. Uh, and it looks, from all intents and purposes, and the reports coming out, that Audi are looking to partner as a works team with someone, Williams, Sauber, Aston Martin to a point, maybe, and even McLaren have been mentioned as the teams that potentially Audi could look to bring in. Mm-hmm. Uh, funnily enough. McLaren actually had to come out and uh, quash rumours that Audi were going to buy them. Uh, was it last year? I think that yeah. was that was that was whether that will happen or not. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. In regards to McLaren, uh, I thought I could see it with Williams and I could see it with Sauber. Uh, maybe Aston Martin because by the time we get to twenty twenty six, if Aston Martin are still languishing the midfield, I think uh, uh, Mister Stroll might be a bit kind of like. I don't want to be putting this much money into this because uh, he has a definite plan and I think that plan will be kind of getting to the end of its life by 2026. So it's all good. They, they, could, be their own, they could be their own teams as well, though, couldn't they, I suppose? Um, I, I, th- I think maybe, but then you're talking, it's a Volkswagen group with two entries to Formula 1. Do they really want to, to go down that route? I think it's going to be more existing teams and maybe engine supply. Uh, hmm. They've already, I think, Audi have pulled back on their Le Mans 24 hour to help fund this initial Formula One venture. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was the CEO that came out and said that it's happening. So it looks like it is. It would be a bit of a major turnaround or U-turn if it's not going to happen now. And they, they were looking to come in before, but then that uh, scandal with the... The, the diesel scandal. The diesel scandal kind of came broke. So it was kind of like, I don't think this is a good idea right now. <laughs> uh, I think we're a bit busy. Uh, so yeah, big, big news. It's been a while since we've had uh, people come in. And let's just hope that Porsche do a better job than they did when they were with footwork back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I could run faster than that car uh, <laughs> when, it, when it was out. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see with these two brands in Formula One in a few years. Another news point, news uh, story that's broken over the last couple of days. Alice Powell has joined with Alpine as a talent ID and development men- development mentor. That's one to get your teeth around. Um, Alice will act as a mentor to the drivers, particularly female racers, on their racing fitness career and opportunities. So that's a great move for her, isn't it? Is that, uh, um, we'll go to Hazel. Uh, is it, it's great to see another female within Formula One. Uh, obviously not in the unfortunately in the driving seat, but you know, to have a position with one of the top teams. 
Yes. So I think uh, for Alice, it's it's great to see uh, uh, her getting that opportunity. I think she's a very good person to do it. Um, she is a driver coach already. She's the she's the coach for well quite a few drivers, um, mm-hmm. uh, including Abby Pulling, who's a driver associate to the Alpine Academy, uh-huh. um, and who Alice directly competes with in W Zero. <laughs> um, but Alice is someone who knows. You know, she did not get picked up for a a, a young driver program um, when she was successful. Um, she she was a Formula Renault champion, um, mm. and then had a dire season in the most explosive GP3 car ever. Um, still did manage to grab a few points, but it really wasn't an opportunity to show what she could do. Mm. Um, and then her career basically stopped because she ran out of money. Um, and I actually didn't think I was ever going to see her race again. Uh, so I was very glad um, when I got to see her drive the eye paces in in a few years ago and then and then to come back in w series and, and sort of be getting opportunities now um so yeah it's she's someone who really understands how things can go wrong mm. um so which is she's very it, yeah she, she's someone who can get young drivers into a position where they can succeed um and she's not you know gonna molly cold room Mm. Um, but certainly, you know, who, who, someone who understands the realities of the system and, and can kind of push people forward and especially to encourage. There's a, a thing, because very few uh, of the people who make talent scouting decisions um, or who make kind of, you know, Young Driver Academy decisions and whatnot in motorsport are female. Mm. Very few of the senior people in motorsport in general are female. Um, there's a persistent kind of pattern that you don't get women picked for jobs because there's an assumption that the women don't hold the jobs. Um, and so, like with Susie Wolf becoming the team principal of, of Vontry in Formula E, and she didn't sort of like consciously say, I'm going to hire women, but she just made it so that they were not hiring women. Yeah, and then so it's it's sort of like it's good to see on that level that that there will be you know decision making power that that is in the hands of someone who knows what to look for and and, and what what kind of drivers have potential because you know she's found some very good ones of of the people that she helped um, Ella Stevens who's a very good carter uh, as well as as Abby. Hmm. Yeah, so it's good good news for one of the W Series drivers. Uh, obviously, uh, getting some kind of coverage in in Formula One. W Series is coming up this weekend. We've got a double header. We haven't mentioned it a couple of times. Really looking forward to that. Um, uh, and yeah, I think everybody should watch it. I think it's a shame that Sky Sports are only showing one of the races. Um, as far as I'm aware, hopefully that's going to change and they do mix it up a bit and, and actually bring both races to to the channel because it would be a shame to miss out on either of them really especially when they're trying to give it the good push um that they are um but yeah we'll, i'm sure we'll see it over the weekend you're going to be watching that uh hazel yes yeah watching it covering it um yeah and who, are you expecting this year to be uh, a jamie chadwick triple or do you think someone else will uh will, will kind of step up 
I don't know. Um, there's some very exciting juniors uh, who are joining. They, they've deliberately gone and got younger drivers uh, in terms of the talent search this year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, of course, uh, an experienced cohort, though, and I think it is going to be very tough to compete with, you know, Chadwick and Powell and Kim Alinen and, and Vissa. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I don't know... Obviously, no one really knows anything about Miami. It's not like anyone's driven it before. No. So, um, yeah, I don't. I think um, it will be interesting to see how it goes, especially because it's double header. So there's a lot to kind of build into the first weekend, and it means that they do get a lot of track time in one go, which um, is is very important. Um, what's really nice to see is that Abby Eaton has been able to come yes. back. After recovering from the injury, she she uh, had pretty severe spinal injury oh, yeah. from from her crash at Coda. We we had her we had her on literally the week before she went to Coda, mm. and yeah, we were really shocked to see obviously the accident that had, that she had, and then all that, that whole brace that she had to wear over the whole winter period. It must have been horrible for her. So great to see her uh, back in the back in the seat. Absolutely. Um, I think we touched on everything. I, I do apologise about it being so long uh, this evening. Um, but, you know, it's been all been interesting talk for definite. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, Hazel, would you like to plug your own socials or where the, where where our uh, fans can find you and your articles? Um, uh, so if you really want to follow me on Twitter, then it's hsalfwellfe. <laughs> um, and uh, I write mainly uh, for race fans and an American website called The Drive, where you can find all kinds of um, technical and sometimes non-technical stuff from me. Excellent. And, and as... Always with Everything F1, you can find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. All of our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, uh, at the handle at joinef one And of course, this podcast itself. Hit the subscribe button and get all of our latest episodes in your earlobes as soon as they drop. Also, head over to manscaped.com and use the, uh, the, use the code EF1 at checkout to get 20% off. Uh, and of course, free shipping. This has been the Everything F1 podcast. Thank you very much, Hazel, for coming to chat to us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you very much for coming, Copes. <clears throat> Bye-bye. And we'll see you next week where we review, hopefully, an absolutely brilliant race over in Miami. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>